shit's fire. Uh, this is a fucking banger. Ladies and gentlemen, cats, snakes, dogs, chicken, elderly people, workers, and twerkers. Damn. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't give a fuck. It's the ruckus. What the fuck you expect? I body slapped my wife, my nigga, man. <laughs> <laughs> What is going on, yo? It's your boy Cupid Mike. You are listening to the podcast Ruckus, Ruckus Podcast, Organized Chaos and Cop. And tonight we're having a Cuban takeover. Normally, I give you some great music with throwbacks, RB, hip hop, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Even sometimes I might give you some Cuban flavor. And sometimes I got the guys with me in the ruckus, but tonight we're having a Cuban takeover. And tonight in the building, I got a dear friend of mine. We've been cool now for it's safe to say what a year now? A year and some change? Over July? a year and a half. Yeah. Over a year since July. Um, this guy has been in the trenches with me, you know, just trying to bring awareness to what's going on in the big island of Cuba. Um, you know, anytime there's been some kind of protest, um, some kind of organization or movement, he's been there with me. Um, it's safe to say, what are you, an entrepreneur, businessman, an author? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm, I uh, work for a software company. I manage enterprise accounts. So I, I went to school for engineering and I, yeah. I work a regular job. So. Something like, but it's, it's but it's safe to say you're an author right now. It's safe. It's safe to say you're you don't want to you know I call him an author. He, he, he's yeah. gonna be modest. He's gonna be modest. But he's like, he's an author right now. He's writing out there. He's writing a little light books in these streets. But yeah, mate. Um, he's a dear friend of mine. You know, I'm glad to have him on the show. We've been talking about it for months to try to have him through, and I finally got him. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I like to introduce you, Alejandro Pires. Man, what's going on, brother? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Um. You know, it's been an interesting fall um, with, uh, you know, just not just not just the season changing and everything, but uh, I got some life changes going on. I'm actually moving from Massachusetts to Florida after I bought a place down there. So going to try something new, um, you know, as going into what we'll end up talking about, I'm going to be actually closer to the island of Cuba and to more Cubans mm-hmm. than I ever have in my entire life um, growing up in Massachusetts. So it's going to be an interesting time. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But uh just going to be different leaving New England, but you know, in a way, maybe it feels like going a little closer to home. So yeah. we'll, we'll find out how that is. Well, I'll, I'll say this, man. I know you're going out there for a new beginning, man, and I'm so happy for you and congratulations on your new step. I I, I will miss you because I ain't going to have anyone. Well, I'm going to have some people on the side with me, but I remember, you know, when I first met you, every time there was a movement there, you were always with me on my side next to um, Jordan and Sam. And, you know, th- thank you for being a partner and an ally and being down with us like that. And, you know, congratulations on your, you know, your your move. And, you know, hopefully it won't be the last time I'll see you. Because, you know, when I go to Florida, I'm hoping to hang out with you behind. Yeah, I got plenty of room. Uh, I got a whole open guest bed. So uh, whenever you want to get out of the cold, you always have a place to stay with me, man, for sure. You heard that audience? He got me. So if something <laughs> happens and he doesn't pick up my call, then I'm going to put him on blast. <laughs> so, yeah, man. So tell us about yourself. How did you got involved in this, this Cuban nonsense that we get it's right now <laughs> sure sure yeah uh so both my parents are originally from cuba um my father uh came uh from cuba to the united states uh in the 80s uh he came on a boat with my grandparents his his siblings uh and some some other members from their community and my mother came here on a plane um a little bit later and or a little earlier in her life um in the seventies. So, um, my, uh, my family story is pretty interesting. You know, there was a big Cuban community in, um, in Jamaica plain in Boston. And when you drive around JP, you can still see a lot of kind of the remnants of that. You have, uh, El Oriental de Cuba, you have, um, I think you, it's a restaurant called like Miami kitchen or something, but, uh, yeah. my godmother, my, my madrina still lives there. So there's still a lot of, kind of remnants of the Hispanic community in JP, though not as much uh, given mm-hmm. kind of the demographic change there. Um, but long story short, so I'm the the third of three children. Uh, I'm the only son of my father and really of my whole family. I'm the only boy with my last name. Okay. And kind of growing up, you know, I had this uh, pride in being Cuban, but uh, I was always a little bit different from other kids in my high school. I grew up in uh, Bolton, Massachusetts, which is a nice town. Um, but a lot of American kids and very, you know, I didn't grow up around other Hispanics, really. I didn't really even grow up other than my family. I didn't really grow up, 
uh, around and I really never grew up around other Cubans. So I meet a lot of people that grew up in Miami or in South Florida that, you know, the Cuban community is all they knew. And for me, that always felt like something that was far away from me, even though I wanted to be so close to it. Yeah. Um, so uh, going into the protests that were going on in Boston, um, I, when I saw on social media all the, the protests going on last July, uh, I felt that I have a duty to my family, to my heritage, to be at that protest and to be actively involved. It's it's my you know it's it's my duty to the country that my parents are from to to participate in these events, to be part of our culture, and hopefully one day to see a free Cuba. Um, and not showing up to these things would be an abdication of that duty. So, you know, I need to be there and I need to show up and I need to participate. Nice. Okay. Well said. Well said. You know, it's very interesting because you grew up in Baltimore, Massachusetts. So um, I grew up in Lawrence. Um, I originally grew up in Jersey. So I always, I, in Jersey, they actually have a Cuban community out there. There was a lot, you know, Jersey, the second state that has the most Cuban next to Florida. So I had that thing. But when I moved to I moved to Lynn, then I moved to Lawrence, and I it was it had Latino communities, they had Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, but they didn't have any Cubans. So even though there's a lot of similarities, a lot of things that are different. So how was it trying to navigate within your culture? Because with me, what in my case, in my, on my and what happened with me, I either had to go to Jersey or Florida to get in tune with that culture. And it was hard because even to this day, when I tell them I live in Massachusetts and we have a, a, a little Cuban crew out here, they're like, they got humans in, in Massachusetts? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to find them, but you, you'll find them. So how, how um, well, first of all, how was it when you went through that last year and you found a whole bunch of Cubans around you that was actually involved with the same cause? And it's a two-part question. Is that one? And part two is, how was it trying to get in tune within your culture? How difficult was it even though there wasn't that many of, of us around the area. Sure. Um, the first, I guess to answer the first question, um, it was really, uh, it's actually been pretty life-changing. Um, even my exposure to uh, the Cuban community, the, the people that I knew in the Cuban community was very small. It was, a, you know, older people, but that all knew each other and knew of each other and their kids and stuff. And there was really... It was very a close circle. And I think what the movement did was it opened up all these new people from all over the state, students at, you know, at different schools in Boston, Jordan, you, I mean, people that I don't think completely otherwise, I don't think I ever would have met, mm -hmm. but not just met, also connected with, you know, I text, I text, talk with Jordan texting and whatever, you know, probably at least once a week or once every other week. And, just making yeah. genuine friends and and people that don't just feel close to me because of like, you know, we grew up together or whatever, but because we really share a common goal for something that is beyond just the things that we do day to day. It's it's the the, the vision and a dream of what what a whole civilization, a whole society could look like on an island that once had that that was taken away from us so yeah. it was it's been really life-changing and um another thing too is this is just something i've had a lot of exposure to your podcast is the whole afro-cuban experience yeah right me being me being a white cuban like this is all uh, an experience i really have had no exposure to it's yeah. just a reality like i grew up in small town white massachusetts which was a great, great place to grow up in. But there's a whole nother side to the Cuban experience that I had without this whole movement with us, everyone coming together and meeting each other. I never yeah. would have had any exposure to that. And it's made a huge difference yeah. in terms of my understanding of what being Cuban really means. So I'm going to pause there. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, um, and the, the second part was like, how, how was it like, how, how would you able to navigate, even though there's not too many of us, like how much did your family, your parents were able to like put that in you, you know, knowing about our, that culture that they had to leave and come back to the States because, you know, us being the first generation being born here is one of those things they, we have to adapt to this because that's where we came from. But they had to adapt, leaving one country, pretty much escaping a regime to come out here. How was it for them to like instill that culture to you? 
Yeah. Um, so my, my <clears throat> parents, I think my parents did a good job of um, making sure that I was part of the American experience, being part of this country and embracing the values and the, you know, on all the cultural parts of what it means to be American, but to never allow me to forget where they came from. Yes. You know, my father, my father is not a very emotional person except for very few things and anything related to his time living in Cuba, growing up under communism and going, living through that is something that he wanted to make sure was never forgotten. And I think that's one reason why my family and people in my family are very politically, I won't say active, but we're, well, but we're very in tune with world politics is because it, yeah. it, it does have a relevant effect on, it has had a relevant effect on how our family, on what's happened to our family. I mean, if, if I really think about it, the, the idea of having to pick up your whole life and leave the life you know for somewhere else because it's better somewhere else is it, something that's been foreign to me and so many other Cubans growing up here because we've had it so good. Yeah. But we don't know what it's like to, to, to say, I have to get out of here because something terrible is happening. And that not that necessity hasn't been obviously something that I've had to go through. And most a lot of Cuban-Americans haven't had to go through that were born here. But mm -hmm. the understanding of where that fear comes from, I think my parents did a good job of telling me to pay attention to the right things and make sure that. I, you know, that I was always aware of what was important and what needed to be carried into the future in terms of lessons from the past. Yes, yes, yes. And um, you, you've never gone to Cuba yet, have you? You never got a chance to go there. So yeah, no, story I, also. yeah. <laughs> that, you know, our story, buddy. That's our story. <laughs> that's our quickest story. Know if I'm gonna get arrested when I get off the plane, <laughs> like if they look at my social media or something, I just have. It's hard. It's one of those things where, like, once they get to you, you don't know when you're going back. So yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's 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 where I'm at right now. And you know what? I was, I always wanted to come back, but I know since my big mouth got me all over all over this damn place, I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm sticking around here for a few to see what happens. Yeah, Just I, roll I'm, the looking, dice. I'm looking at maybe going in February, but um, mm -hmm. you know, we'll see. It's just I, I'm gonna have to. It's going to be a very, it's will not be a vacation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That way. It's going to be a, a, a very spiritual experience. Um, and uh, I don't know. We're going to have to see how that goes. But I think that there's a reason why I'm ready. Maybe God is saying, hey, you're ready at this point in your life to go do that. I'm, I'm 30. I just turned 30 years old. So I'm a little older yeah. now. <clears throat> so we'll see. Um, but uh, kind of just quickly veering off into the part of the second question, the initial second question that you asked. So growing up in my part of Massachusetts, I never all my friends were American, like white American. And, you know, I had I have great friendships with them and everything. But because I had a Z at the end of my last name, my name was Perez. I was always still going to still always labeled a little bit different. Yeah. And. What's interesting, though, is that even on the flip side, I always still also within the Latino community always felt like a little bit of an outlier as well, specifically. So yeah. there's one very there's one story. It was one of my earliest memories that sticks out in my mind. It was maybe 1998 or something it was late 90s. And um, my parents or my sister and I got invited to go on the field to Fenway Park to do like Hispanic Heritage Appreciation Night or something. Yeah. And I'll never forget. So me and my sister, my sister is whiter than I am. She has blue eyes, brown hair. My sister and I get on the bus and we sit, we go and we sit down on the bus and we look and everyone, all the other uh, kids are just staring at us. <laughs> and we're like, what do you know, we were kids, right? We're very young. We don't know what's going on. And yeah. You know, little kids ask very blunt questions, but they one girl uh, asked, so, like, why are you guys here? We're like, what are you yeah. talking about? They're like, well, isn't this for Hispanics only? And, you know, and we said, yeah, like, we're Hispanic, too. They go, oh, no, you're not. Like, yeah. you look different than us, right? So it's, it's, it's one of those things. And kids are kids, and, like, it is what it is, right? Kids are always going to – kids are just going to call the world as they see it, and that's okay, yeah. right? Um, but – 
it's just one of those things where growing up in Massachusetts, you know, you'd, you'd still experience a little bit of slightly outside the... You feel like an outsider. You you feel like an outsider and even a little bit of prejudice around there because they expect you to look a, a certain way. And I could relate that too. And I always say that we're Cubans, you know, there's like no really middle with us. You either look really, really, really black like me or you look really, really, really like you. There's no, I look a little bit of tan, a little bit of Taino, a little bit of native. I'm not saying that we don't exist, but you get either somebody look like Ted Cruz or you're going to look like somebody that look like Lance Alonzo. So it's like, you know, it's a, or, or somebody like Celia Cruz. So it's like a day and night kind of thing. Yep. So I, I definitely can relate to that. And, and even come to the point when I, when I start speaking, speaking Spanish, they're like, oh, you speak Spanish? <laughs> they, they, it's like they seem like four eyes on me or something like that. So I could, yeah, I could definitely relate to that department. I mean, even, even overseas, like I was in Europe this year and, you know, I told someone my name was Alejandro that I'm Cuban. They didn't even people spoke like three languages, didn't even believe me. Right. I, yeah. I had to show my ID to show them that my name was actually Alejandro. Like, and this happens, this, this has happened. I've probably been asked just to like prove that my first name is what it is like multiple times in my life, just because people either think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm too, uh, you know, I'm too white or too American or whatever it is, Whatever, like, yeah. like living in these ty- types of different spheres. Um, but, uh, it's interesting. I'm only, the only time I've ever really felt like, uh, people, uh, there's none of that is really when I'm with, at the Cuban groups, when everyone who was there just gets it because yeah, they get it. This place, but you know, yeah, it's we- just one of those things. It's a complex geopolitical situation. So it's, I don't expect everyone to understand exactly the ins and outs of what happens there, but it's good to educate people. Exactly. And okay, so I, I have to now that you mentioned that I gotta go to the to the next question, which is this. We we live in Massachusetts and it's freaking socialist, communist, liberal city. There's no way to get around it. There's no way to get around it. At at this point, you know what I mean, after everything that's been going on for a year, because you know, um I, I had this conversation with a couple of people within the group, and it's like because there's not too many of us. We're not on people's radar when it comes to the issues going on there. So, you know, it, when, happen, when things happened last year, they started asking, like, yo, what's, what's going on out there? Like, why, why, why is the protest going on? Why are people getting arrested? You know, you start asking these questions. They start asking you these questions. So you start giving these answers. Um, Pre-July 11th, there were these people that were, like, pro-lift the embargo, you know, mm-hmm. and they were, like, they didn't get it. So they thought it was just, like, you know, American being evil and... You know, they're in the Cuban government, just like these innocent bystanders that they just don't do right for the people that we all know is bullshit. Um, pre after uh, pro post July 11th, you know, within your circle and friends, you know, I don't know if they have conversation about you asking you questions or if they even care or if they was on a radar, up, but have they asked any questions on it or do they even care for the most part or have they even like? got a chance to have an understanding or do do they get it? Sure. I think that's a good question. Um, I'd say my, my friends have definitely commented on like, um, Hey, I saw you were at the, the, the different events. Cause I post some of them to Instagram or whatever. <clears throat> some people definitely say, yeah, Oh, that's, you know, like, I think that's awesome that you're doing that. Um, I had one girl, uh, that was my my friend's girlfriend that said, hey, I just recently read a book on Cuba. It wasn't related to the movement, but she said, I understand how you could go from where you were to, you know, from staying at home to going to these protests. I understand a little bit more now yeah. reading through that. But um, I haven't really had specific, uh, right, I haven't had my friends specifically asked about details to be to be educated on on what's going on. But I think yeah. partially is because it's probably a conversation that they don't want that because they don't know as much they don't want to i don't know they don't want to strike up that conversation that could be kind of an intense one um so i would say they probably would like to know but it's just one thing that it's it's not top of mind or or it's kind of a tough question to ask because you don't know where it could go but um my friends have definitely shown support because uh, okay. they under they know me and they understand that it's something that's important to me on a fundamental level. 
Yeah. And the reason I asked that, because uh, I when I did the last episode with, with the black humans, because um with in my end it was a sh- it, it it was a shift because there was people that they still romanticize the revolution mm-hmm. that they still think it's still a thing and they thought that was for the people and that no one is for themselves. So a lot of things happened after July 11th and pro- that hit the spark. And because people that, I mean, I actually have friends of mine, like legit friends of mine that were really like involved, like in love with the revolution. They thought that it was like the most righteous thing ever. And, you know, that perception that, they, that, that you know, he stuck it to the man. And pretty much, long story short, they romanticized the fuck out of it. There's no way to get around. They romanticized the fuck out of it. And they think it was just like the great thing that they ever did in history. But I... I, I always said like 98% of my friends got it. I still got those 2% are useful idiots and I just let them be idiots. But they watch how they talk to me right now because this time around, I got an army in Boston and the Cuban. So now they're not going to come and talk to me crazy. So I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very happy that, that, you know, people are starting to get it. Um, I'll share a quick story. I had a friend of mine that we really got into like an intense argument about this kind of thing. And it wasn't until he moved to Florida. And when he moved to Florida, you know, that's Cuban Central. And what happened was he met a lot of elder statesmen that was t- actually like schooling him and telling him, this is what's really going on. And this is why we left. And this is what happened. So it went from him being a romanticized guy that thought, you know, take the good with the bad. He became a little bit more compassionate. And he actually called me. He was like, yo, my bad. I didn't know. I, hmm. I, I didn't know. And I'm like, it's okay you didn't know. But I'm like, you dickhead. I have my mother, my grandpa. Like, you know my whole fucking family. Why do you think we're, we're freaking anti-communist nutbags? Like, you, you you had the cheat code the whole time. You had to go to Florida. Your answer was 10 minutes away from my house. You know, it's interesting. So uh, there's a there's a good phrase out there that says the truth cannot be taught and must be learned. Right? Everyone has to learn on their own, whether they're taught a million times or not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is this whole fantasization of the revolution, I think, you know, I think that's a, that's a generational problem. Um, I think one, it comes from a lack of kind of a greater, uh, I don't know how to, how to properly articulate this, but like, you know, growing up, there was always, our parents had uh, the, the Cold War, right? The Soviets, right? Were always the enemy. There was always that larger uh, force out there that, uh, you know, could be a uniting force around the culture and um, humans have always had this innate need to serve a higher purpose or to serve to go out there and be more than just you know uh people that go to work and come home and hang out right we want something beyond that so i think through social media and other and other mediums of information our generation looks at pictures and videos and from our comfortable couches and our beds and our iPhones, we're able to romanticize about what it'd be like to be part of this movement. Yeah. Um, when in reality, you know, most of the people that support this revolution don't understand as if the revolution were to actually happen after they're, after the, the movement's done with them, they'd line them up with the rest of, with the rest of the, uh, the quote unquote trespassers and, and yep. kill them in the firing squad, you know? Yeah. You, you become a statistic. You're a number to them now. You're just a number. Yep. You are the a lot of the people that support this crazy overthrow, this revolution. They they have they they all they all would be for it until they realize that the revolution does not just because you say you support them, they go and they eat their own and they'll they'll they execute their allies too. They don't care. Early, um, and you see that coming a lot uh, from a lot of more I won't say privileged people, but relative to the rest of the world, the human history, we're pretty privileged folks. Yeah, and we can't just because just because something looks cool on an iPhone doesn't mean that it's cool when you're living through it. So yeah, yep, and that's that's the thing. And um, um, we we always um, Cubans like from our parents' generation, they still got like this this um this paranoia that um it might come within this country. I'm still being optimistic and say it's not going to happen. But I could understand why they still get a little bit paranoid, especially with the nonsense we've been doing in this freaking state. Um, I get it. So that's why I always feel like you got to be on your P's and Q's and always just be aware on what's going on with politics and what's going on within our system from like the lower level to the higher ups. <clears throat> so I always tell people to just be aware and don't just get caught up with the romanticism just peep game how people are just doing you and not only that listen to each other's stories because 
I know with Florida, you know, Cubans, they hold a lot of political weight out there. And they think that, you know, we we, we get a, a bad rep because we vote Republican. And I used to, like, really attack them. But then once I got involved with this movement, and even once my family voted a certain way, like, I respect it. And I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. And uh, and they do more better on getting they do wait they do a better job of them getting of, of, of us getting their vote as to the other side because they know how to talk to us they know where we come from and they know that look this might come for you and we're not rocking with that so join us on that on that section mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think it also comes down so most most of um our issue are not our issues the, the biggest questions that we have to ask as a society and i think these are the questions that the movement that we have with cuba are based around is what you know what are fundamental human rights right where do those rights come from right and this is why i think the american experiment is so special because in the united states the the founding principle is that there are certain inalienable rights that transcend that are that are go beyond human existence that come from you that come from god you could say that it's a higher power you could say there is you know whatever it is the point is is that there are rights that predate government yeah. right and it's government's job to protect those innate human rights from being from being or to protect those rights and to stop those rights from being infringed upon by both people and by government itself mm-hmm. right so that's why <clears throat> Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence says, right, that governments were basically created by man um, to protect these rights with the consent of the governed, right? So the people give their consent and some power to the government to protect their fundamental rights, life, liberty, and uh, and the pursuit of happiness. So happiness. Right. So, and I think the reason why a lot of Cubans will tend more conservative Republican is because that is a, a much more popular message on the political right is that, hey, we we love the Declaration of Independence and we love the Constitution and those those things that enshrine the rights to free speech that have all, right, those types of rights, the right to bear arms that have been taken away from the Cubans, right? They've seen the story. They've, they've watched this movie before in Cuba. They know what happens when those rights are ran over. So it comes down to the, those fundamental rights and stopping those from being taken away so that what happens in Cuba doesn't happen in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And look, um, I I have a lot of Cuban friends and, you know, my mom has, has a lot of Cuban friends. And, you know, the one country that she was trying to warn was Venezuela. And this talk this, this is back in 2003. She had a lot of bunch of a bunch of friends in 2003. Like, look, when Chavez was running things, he was like, look, we we seen this movie before. He's gonna do this. He's gonna do that. I give you guys no less than ten years, and something's gonna happen to y'all. And look what happened. Yep. Now now happened. they have wheelbarrows of cash, and they're shooting dogs in the street to eat because yeah. all socialism does is it takes existing resources and it just sucks them dry. And it gives yeah. them out to the people when in reality it's it's market systems that allow that allow production of goods and services to be done at the best level to allow mm-hmm. the society to become prosperous. You know, it's interesting. I had a friend of mine who is on a different political side than I am, but he was talking, we were talking about different world politics, and he talks about Venezuela and he says, Oh, the US has their is crushing Venezuela with their sanctions. And I asked him, I was like, basically, you know, do, do you know who Hugo Chavez is? Do you know what happened with Hugo Chavez? He goes, no, who's Hugo Chavez? I'm like, well, we, to, we can't have a, a bad start. Off to a bad start. Right? We can't have a conversation around geopolitical issues if you don't know these very basic historical facts. And what's, what's troublesome is that there are a lot of people in our generation – look at the state of the world and they want to blame America. They want to blame the powerful country, the oppressor, whatever. Right. But they don't, they don't have a complete story. They just look at things in frozen time and in the present day. And that's, that's not, that's not a way to to do a full analysis on what to do in terms of politics. 
And, and that and that's what happened to us because every time they talked about you know American being evil with um with Cuba, they they blamed the freaking embargo. And I'm like, yo, it, it, before you even mention the embargo, you got to go before what happened pre the embargo. Why it went down the way it did, and they don't they don't they either don't know it. Most of them don't even know it. I'll say that most of them don't even know it. And then some of them, because they want to be like anti-American and, you know, disgruntled Americans, they were like, it's still America's fault just because. So even when yeah. you throw facts in their face, they're still very dismissive about it. And, yeah. and that's the part that gets that gets nasty and we're still trying to fight the good fight. And even on the other side, man, um, I, I talked about it with this group. Um, they're doing so much nasty stuff to us that it makes, I mean, I vote a certain way, but I think I'm going to have to stop because... You already know the stuff that we're going through here with the city council. That's number one. <clears throat> and then I don't know if you heard about that kid in Orlando that won the Congress thing. I forgot his name, but um, uh, I know was, who, I've seen him. Yeah, he 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 ran as a Cuban, and then come to find out he was Puerto Rican the whole time. I mean, so this is what y'all doing to us right now? To to yeah. to to um to vote, you know, quote unquote, the, a progressive way Cuban... with. Um, the reality is the Cuban identity, the Cuban community, all these left-wing politicians have are using Cuba as a political football to score political points so that they can look better in front of their friends, so that they can rise up in the ranks. The Boston City Council does not know the people that voted to strike to uh, uh, not support the embargo. Those people don't have an ounce of understanding of what's going on in Cuba. Uh, and if they do, then they're political, then they're just acting knowing that they're scoring political points. Yeah. They, if they truly believed in fundamental human rights and the, the that role, right? What we talked about, the role of government to protect human rights, they would never vote that way, but yeah. they don't see it. They, they are in their own fantasy land where they think if they say the right things and do the right things without actually seeing the <clears throat> consequences of the policies that they say that they're supporting, then they can they can just go and score their points and you know they can go tweet about it later and, and try to go from city council to mayor and then from mayor to state to representative and from representative to senator. I mean, that's all hmm. it is. Yeah. It's just climbing up the ladder. Yeah, which which it's really going to cost them in the long run because it's really going to make them look like they're just deplorable human beings in the long in run. In the meantime, though, it'll cost the people. It'll cost the people of the state. It'll it'll cost it'll these policies and this this belief that having that the these principles are not the right principles are not good just moral principles of protecting life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That th this is, this will lead to what we see happen. And this is my fear. San Francisco, Portland, yeah. Oregon, Washington, Seattle, Washington, that Boston yeah. is on that, is on that track. Yeah. And now they have the, they have the legislative ability to basically turn it into that. I mean, the, the city council meeting that I, that I watched before the, the embargo vote, it sounded like a political, like almost like a quasi-political podcast. Everything <laughs> we were talking about was all had nothing to do with real. Like it was, it was, it sounded more like political fluff than it did actual city government doing its job. And it was sad. And I got out of Boston. Yeah. 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 So, ugh, it, it's just a whole big mess. <laughs> Yeah, man. So, like I was saying, um, one of the things that I'm happy about us, this generation right now, we're trying to change the the perception out uh, on how Cuba, Cuba's being portrayed because a lot of things. I don't even you were too young to remember, but like during the Obama years, I know when I was um checking out, like you know, the voting and stuff like that. Like he won twice. He won twice and like, you know, the Democratic Party was very happy about it because Florida was also being like very conservative. Then like, it got kind of purple sometimes. Sometimes it got red and blue, whatever the case may be. So once Obama won twice, they, you know, they were happy and they thought like, you know, it was going to like progress and it was going to shift to blue. 
But what they fail to recognize that um you still have the Cuban youth and they were so caught up with the old parents that they were like, okay, it's going to change because of the only people that are voting red are like the old conservative parents that are still stuck in the Batista years. And they were either like the privileged or they had their things and they left. So now this new generation, um, they're going to go a certain way. But what they failed to realize was even though we do sometimes, for the most part, we think progressive way, we didn't forget why our parents left the country to begin with. So, um, for example, when my mother, she voted for Obama. She voted for Obama, and then after she voted for Obama, and what I keep telling people, what messed his whole thing was a trip to Cuba. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what it, I remember seeing th that on TV. Yeah, that's what messed him up because we were happy at first because we thought, okay, he's gonna set him straight and say, look, this is what the hell we want. If you want this kind of change, or we're gonna, well, we thought he's gonna stick his chest out, and you know, I mean business, and. He didn't mean any business. He pretty much gave him everything and we got hit with nothing. And it became to like, you know, the same old politics. So it was like, oh, okay. Not only we're going to go red, we're going to go super red. As you can see what happened with the midterms. So as the world was looking like, you know, oh, he did this, like, you know, the people that are not Cuban, they looked at it as a great thing. Like, you know, oh, he went and, um, you know, try to have negotiation with them. And, you know, the one thing that they failed to realize, they didn't come to us, the community. Because when he first ran, I remember him going to the front and saying, like, you know, I'm going to do you guys right. We're going to work this out. And I'm here for you. And then eight years later, that went out the window. So what happened is now they failed to recognize that, you know, with us, the new generation, like, yeah, um, it's not over yet. You know, we're here for a reason. And our parents came here for a reason. So it's not like, you know, forget what these, like, you know, what the old folks are saying, no, we're here because of them. So we have to honor that and we have to serve that. So you're gonna have to do by you're gonna have to do right by us. Cause if now we're still gonna go to that other side until you get us. And unfortunately, they still been kind of tone deaf and they still haven't gotten us because you got like these um these these um news media outlets. I don't know if you keep up with the young Turks. You watch those guys online? Yeah, yeah I know who they are. Yeah, I used to be a fan of those guys, and then they just went elsewhere with their with their whole agenda. So, um, between those guys and the hill, like they they've gone like so far off to the left, it's become ridiculous. But they still get toned up with the conversation, thinking like you know it's still the embargo. So I think with this new generation that we're now thanks to social media, we're able to like you know to bring awareness and bring a bigger voice more than ever, and. I'm optimistic. I'm still very optimistic. I see something's still going to happen, but with social media, we're still to, we're still able to bring awareness more than ever. So between social media, um, even what I'm doing right now with the podcast and everything that we have, like we have all these networks and all these tools to use it as our as our advantage, and that that scares them because they can't control the narrative like that anymore. Now mm -hmm. we get the chance to um control our narrative and tell the story. That's why it's so important for me to like not only share the stories that what my mother went through and my father went through, um, I could also share awareness of what goes on with the Black Cuban community because there's been this terrible misconception for years thinking that we just like adored this guy and he was like our savior and he can save us from like the evil man. And it's been total, total horseshit and I cannot stand it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is a, right, this is a kind of a new, uh, viewpoint to me I didn't really know that you I didn't know any of this right that you felt this way about Obama and that you right that you have other people that you've talked to that you know you get you get roped into people thinking that you think a certain way yeah. uh, and I think that's really I think I mean it makes definitely makes sense um, and if you look at the you know the foreign policy from Obama and now from President Biden after especially after the protest last summer there was no virtually no action Nothing. Right? Nothing. There was no. Action. There was no the, the one thing that that uh, Senator Marco Rubio was calling for was uh, for them to do the internet balloons. Freaking so internet! They couldn't even do that. Puerto Rico, but they that the problem is there is a belief that comes from this this line of foreign policy that we can please and negotiate our way through bad actors through these types of governments and that that we can just get them to see the light someday. We can, we can get them to, to turn 
you know, to, to start to turn the corner and to, to join and hold hands and going into this brave new world. But that's and, just not. The regime doesn't work like that. The regime not doesn't how it work works. like that. You and know, these types and these governments, they all just take advantage of the United States. And yeah. it's the same with Iran, too. Iran is cracking the skulls of protesters, shooting people in the streets right now. And what do we have going on? Just a few months ago, we had our our State Department working out, trying to work out another nuclear deal. Right. Where in the past we sent them pallets of cash. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this is not when you have regimes like this that are against human rights, that are dictatorships. They don't care what kind of concessions they make. Any concession you make to them, they're just going to seize on. Yeah. Right. This is what I have to explain to people. When you go and there's, quote unquote, trade that's open for Cuba, Cuba's open for business. That's just more money that goes to the pockets of the gut of the communists. The yeah. people don't that money yeah they might see a little bit of aid but that's all facade that's just all the cuban leaders uh the people in the cuban communist leadership they they send you see their the, the instagram of their kids they don't keep oh. their kids Cuba. they look like they rappers kids, they look like rappers kids, yeah their kids go to the best schools they go to paris they go to rome they're all over the place and, and why that and he's the he's the thing that kills me like, you know, one of the things, the propaganda they try to sell, like, you know, we have free education and we have the best education, but none of the freaking kids go to school in Cuba. None of them. They go to school in Europe. Yeah. All the kids go to school in Europe and they pump like they got the best, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And it's just so freaking frustrating because you see it was going on right in front of your eyes and they still go like this. They still go like this. It's, it's, it's the more you really think about it, there is a communist, not just a socialist, even a communist country 90 miles from our shores that barely has a military, right? That for some reason is still communist. Yeah. That used to be a pro Western government, free, pro capitalism, pro free markets. It's it actually, when you really think about it, it blows the mind. This isn't Russia. This isn't China. This is right here in the Western hemisphere. Yep. And, it is nuts. And the the idea, you know, obviously where we, we talk about what do we want to do next? Obviously, we don't want military intervention in Cuba. Well, you know, so the right guy, and I don't know, man. really terrible happens, you know, and maybe, but maybe the point is something terrible has been happening the whole yeah. time, right? Maybe the only way to get rid of these people is just to go kick them out. Um, oh, no, I've got it right now because I was against it right now, but I do it. I'm running out of options because, like, okay, because you know, the our enemies are like, well, you can't say, and um, and you know, you can't do intervention because you know, you're gonna kill people, then you can't end a coup because they're gonna, you know, we're, we're sticking our nose in the belong. Then, you know, we tried, you know, the embargo thing, you know, you're starving the people, and what the case may be. So, I'm like, what do you, what, 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 what we got left? Starving. Yeah, what, what do you got left here? What do you got left? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, and that just real quickly, that's why the Second Amendment is so important in the United States. You need yeah. the ability to to, ad, to adequately fight back against the government. You know, people think, oh, well, what's 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 a what's an AR-15 going to do against a, a predator drone? It's a good point, but what did the Taliban do to us in Afghanistan? They kicked our asses out. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. People people still have to fly planes. People still have to get in tanks. They still have to eat. Right. I mean, Castro, again, was an armed revolutionary. But, you know, the, the big the big point here. Is that. Cuba, it's interesting. You, you see all these 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 news articles of another building falls apart, like literally falls down, like falls, just like is no longer standing because it collapsed. Yeah. And then another building. And then like there's some some other disaster over here and then a disaster over there. And it makes you wonder, how much time do these people have? Like, the country literally is falling down. How much longer can they keep this cash cow going for these people? And, and, and it, it can't last forever. It can't. And, you know, I was I was seeing somebody on YouTube, and it's getting kind of scared because people are so uh, starving. I mean, it was a scare tactic, but then because people are so desperate, you don't, you, you don't let pass nothing amongst anyone once they're starving. It, like... They they got scared that it might get to a point that that you know it it might turn to some kind of form of cannibalism because people are just like starving so much. Well, they, I mean, if, if that happens, then you know 
send do whatever you have to do at that point, send in the troops. But yeah, um, you know, I always make a joke that if they found uh, oil reserves under the island, there'd be U.S. troops. There'd be U.S. troops on the island. Thank you, seconds, right? Thank you. And I, I, I always <laughs> said that myself. I always said to myself, if we would have diamonds, oil, like yeah, something diamonds, that worked oil, through. lithium, whatever something. it was. If it was there, you bet you bet there were they would find some excuse to and to yeah, it. and then then they'll hide under the facade. Yeah, yeah, we're doing this all of the string of democracy. Yeah, I'm sure you are. But if the uh, world still needed if the world still needed the Cuba the the, the sugar from Cuba, they'd be they'd be over there. Yeah, they, we've just figured out the sugar problem. That's 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 the only thing. Otherwise, Cuba Cuba when it was, you know, Quasi imperialized by the United States after the Spanish American War. One yeah. of the big reasons was because of the sugar exports. Yeah, we were killing them with that. We were killing them with the sugar. But then, you know, it got figured out. Um, but, you know, it's just, it is the way it is. But, you know, kind of looking into the future, I do think there is a, I do, so this is, I think a couple of things are going to happen at some point. I think the, the regime will fall. Will it be in my lifetime? Who knows? We, we're, you and I are going to get very old. We have modern medicine. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the question is going to be what, not just what replaces it, because once it falls, there's going to be the U.S. is going to is going to intervene immediately. I yeah. Think. What I'm most concerned about. So there's the good the good part. The good news is there are definitely there are millions and millions, if not billions, of dollars of actual Cuban American money on the sidelines. Ready to go back and build the country tomorrow. I think Cuba, I think Cuba overnight, not overnight, but within a very short period of time, given all the Cubans around the world who have gone and thrived, would, would be back rebuilding the island very quickly. Yeah. My concern is that if 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 the regime falls and the United States gets gets in there, that you get the financial cartel and the big interests that go in there and try to exploit Cuba to be the next third world nation, third world capitalist nation in the Western hemisphere where they can get cheap labor and have cheap tech offices. And, you know, and, and, and that's what we need to avoid. That's what we need to freaking avoid. Cause then we don't want another Batista era where we just get exploited. And that's what happened the, the last go around. So the same way they didn't want to get involved when we needed our help, we needed their help. I think. Well, I mean, the- I mean, even a step beyond that. At least during the Batista era, at least there was an economic parity. Like there were people that were living middle class in Cuba that lived way better off than most parts of the United States. I could take their money and their resources and go to the U.S. and actually be wealthy mm-hmm. or be OK. Right. Like it was Cuba was almost like a 51st state. Right. It was the, the had the best. We were killing it. America. We were killing, and then with the mob doing their nonsense, we were like damn near Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Myra Lensky was a. Uh, was a, a frequent flyer down in down yeah in yeah um, but uh what i what i would like what i'm af- afraid of is say we get a new uh, you know we get a free cuba we get this whole economic system what i want to avoid is cuba being hey i'm a large company with billions of dollars i just bought up half the block in havana and i'm gonna go and pay you know everyone three dollars an hour to go do whatever like i understand that there's economic realities but i don't yeah. want cuba to be boxed into i want i want the prior economic prosperity that cuba had to come back and what i don't want to see is big corporate interests turn cuba into a cheap labor factory that has some yeah, pretty free- much sent to china pretty much yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in in terms of the economics there, I mean, yeah. the proximity to the U.S. would still protect that. But like or in India, where they pay, you know, engineers are paid a lot less than they are here, even though they're just as comp. They're very, very good at their jobs. But I don't mm. want to see Cuba turn into a, a secondary labor market. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's going to be maybe that's where things end up, but I, I want to avoid it if I can. And spe- but corporate interests are going to do everything they can to make that happen. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, let's cross our fingers, man. It's like, it's still a toss up in the air. And I'm, I'm, I'm still really, I'm still really optimistic that the regime will fall and we will have a, a free Cuba. And I, I'm, I'm at a point now, I'm just hoping it happened in my mother's lifetime. That's all. If, if yeah, she lives, if, if our parents could live to see that, then I'm content. I, I think that would probably be 
a top three moment of my life if I could be yeah. with my father when the regime. I mean, it would. It, it, I couldn't even put into words. I just get. I almost get chills just thinking about what yeah. that moment would feel like and what it's just. It it feels like a almost like a movie that that hasn't been made that you know is going to get made, yeah. but it's real life. Yeah. So um, and I mean, my grand. I mean, just quick sidetrack. I mean, when the first wave that came over here was my mother, my father, my uncle, and my grandfather. My uncle passed away, so he wasn't able to see that. My grandfather, he's pretty much on his last leg, so I don't think he's gonna be aching. So I'm I'm down to my last two right here. So hopefully they'll be able to see uh, a free Cuba before, you know, anything happens. So I'm just crossing my fingers on that department. And Well, this is the tricky part. The tricky part is when they're gone, right, we know that we, right, we want to take, take up the fight and continue on the political activism. The question is, and I think this is our biggest challenge as being younger Cuban Americans is, not fading away into the American lifestyle where being Cuban is just something that you have on paper and that you know nothing about. Yeah. And I know several people um, from my just growing up or people in my adult life that are, you know, half Cuban um, and that are great people and everything, but they almost know nothing about the heritage yeah. that they come. They have no idea. They, they don't speak Spanish. Yeah. They they probably couldn't tell you Celia Cruz is like it's and it's not that it's it's not a, necessarily a bad like they're not it's nothing bad. It's just want something that as Cubans come here and make a, and succeed and make a life for themselves. It's what I really one thing I am somewhat fearful of is that enough of us enough Cuban youth kind of fade away from the movement and people don't care as much. And the regime can just, you know, a lot of the enemies of the regime end up just going away and they can continue indefinitely without people that remember what they did. And that's the thing, because I I get where you come from that, because the, the thing that gets scary about the thing that gets scary about that is that you have Cubans that have no idea, no idea what they're getting into. And then they'll use them as a prop to be like, we should lift the embargo because we got this Cuban right here that say we should lift the embargo. And that's what happened. Um, uh, okay, remember the video I posted up with that dude that lied about the Peter Pan? Yeah. There's more to that video, and I didn't get a chance to post it. Um, but in the video, he had a, Cu a, a Cuban person who I don't think she was Cuban, but I'm going to give him that right now because, you know, we got this new trick. Now we got people that are Cuban claiming that they're Cuban to fit a certain agenda. But he was like, yeah, we need to lift the embargo because I got a Cuban friend that we should lift the embargo. And he brought a, a, a Cuban girl to say that he should lift the embargo because it's for the family or whatever the case may be. So the thing that gets scary that you got people that don't know their history trying to push a certain agenda. And because they got so-called progressive ideology, which I'm getting to know with that word, because pro, pro, the word progressive right now is just a cute word of saying socialist or communist right now, the way they're freaking moving. But they're using them as a prop to push their sick agenda. So that's the part that I get afraid of also. But that's what happened with us because as, you know, our parents got kind of fed up with Cuba and they started like, you know, not talk about it as much. They use that as the as as the agenda. Be like, okay, the old folks are gone. We got the new kids and now we're going to push this agenda. But then we came along and said, no, we're not having that. So I think as long as, I mean, I think that was up to us to teach these new kids like, look, this is what we're fighting for. This is what's going on. And this is why you should stand for this cause. And this is what Cuba's about. And and um, and I think as long as we keep that momentum going, we could still fight the good fight. And that's what happened with those kids that are your friends that are half Cuban and whatever the case may be. I'm probably going to assume that their parents just came over here and be like, you know what? Since we're not coming back here. We're just going to live in this country, get Americanized, and Cuba's just not existing anymore. And they just got accustomed to that, and it became what it became. Yeah, I mean, as as far as I know, that's that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, and you know, it's it's there's nothing wrong with coming here and and thriving and building a better life for yourself. That's what we all strive for. That's what we yeah. all hope to do, right? The question is, you know, after we've received these gifts and uh, of freedom and prosperity in the United States, do we owe it to our our past and our ancestors to 
you know, try to use some of that to be part of taking back the island that was taken away from them. And yeah. I think my my also, my other thing that I see happening in the future is now that we have a whole generation of Cubans that are, I mean, everyone I talk to in the Cuban community, honestly, that the way that they have succeeded in all aspects of life all over the world is 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 so incredible. You know, doctors and engineers and you know uh, even people in media i mean everywhere we prosper everywhere what the fuck is shit? What is shit? we prosper anytime we go we turn lemon to lemonade and it's i think what i'm hopeful for is that this whole generation one two three generations of success is going to really be a, a big war chest yeah for this movement and um you know, we'll, we'll wait and see, but uh, it's also going to be on us as well, I think, to continue not just the work, too, but eventually have, for me, I definitely want to have kids and have a new generation of kids that were raised the way I were, not forgetting where their family comes from. And, you know, as I get older, maybe be ready for the fight, too. Yeah, um, definitely. And you know this movement every movement is just one one person at a time yeah definitely man so all right man we're about to get out of here man because um it's getting late and i gotta go eat and then probably get a drink or two but um before we get out of here um what the hell's going on with the patriots oh the patriots what the hell's going on with our pets all right the defense is unbelievable matthew judon is sick okay Special teams is unbelievable. Mac Jones cannot throw a football down the field. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. We talked about this. Mac Jones is average, maybe even below average. He's not going to lead us to a Super Bowl. And if he somehow does, and this podcast is online, then I will happily eat those words. I will be rooting for the Pats forever. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see it. I think there's there's just better teams in the Mahomes. I don't know how we ever get over the Chiefs in yeah. a playoff game with, yeah. with Mac Jones, yeah. right? Mahomes for the next ten years. It's just I don't see it. Or Josh Allen. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. Um. Is it safe to blame? Is it safe to blame Belichick now after all these years? Can we? Um. Because <laughs> right now Tom proved to him I could get one without you. I. You know. It's tough. I'm, to I'm, say. I'm I Belichick. I don't blame Brady for moving on, and it was probably the right move for him. And I don't blame the Pats for also wanting to look toward the future. Um, right now, we, we don't really have an offensive coordinator. We have Matt Patricia, who's a defensive guy, calling offensive plays. So that makes no sense. Uh, but but that said, right now, the team is 5-5. Five and five. They're not bad. And the AFC East is actually stacked. Yeah. I mean, if I just look at the division right now, I mean, the Pats are at the bottom. No, sir, we're five and four. We're above five hundred. So, uh, I mean, if you look at the AFC East, the Dolphins are seven and three. The Jets and the Bills are both six and three. We know how good the Bills are. Yeah. I mean, you know, th- this team is is competitive in a very tough division. So, there's going to be a lot of divisional play that comes up, and we're going to see how that goes. But if they can find a way to win and maybe sneak into the playoffs again. And then address some of their weaknesses in the offseason, they could be okay. It's just, yeah. We have to get used to not being, you know, uh, one or two seed every year. We, you know, we, we were spoiled for so many we years. We were spoiled. We're so freaking spoiled. Oh, we had it good. We had it good, man. We had a freaking good. All right, man. Well, Alejandro, man, thank you. Thank you for stopping by, man. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. Um, you know, I know it's not going to be the last time I'm going to see you because I will take that trip to Florida to visit you behind. Um, before you officially leave here, I don't know when you officially leave, but we definitely got to get some drinks. I know a spot. So I'm actually, I'll be, so I, I obviously I've been back and forth throughout the year, but um, I'm going to be in Florida for good after Thanksgiving. So. Oh, oh wait, um, Thanksgiving. All right. So, yeah. uh, uh, so after Thanksgiving, you're out. Yeah. Oh, so that means you won't, you won't be from my, you won't be around for my birthday. All right. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Understandable. What is it? Um, the twenty eighth. 
of the of Monday on uh, November. November. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in the Sunshine State on my porch drinking a whiskey. I gotcha. So, um, okay, we'll talk behind the scenes. We will talk behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you for everything, man. Um, we'll definitely do a part two. You know, what I mean, this time we'll probably get the crew with us this time around. Um, this your boy Cuban Mike. You've been listening to the Ruckus and compilation with 102.9 Tape Deck. This has been the Cuban Takeover, and you know we're out here for our peoples. Bye, they beat up to the death, and you know we will see a few Cuba sometime soon. And God will be in our lifetime. We are out of here. Peace. Peace. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, no problem, man.